CIA taught us that there's a connection between childhood trauma and high performance. CIA calls you in on the first day of orientation. They sit everybody down. They say, welcome to CIA. You take your oath. And then they basically roll into a whole presentation about how you're all a little fucked up. So it makes you so great for the job. <laughs> and it makes you perfect for the job. And they say, hey, you are all victims of some level of childhood trauma. And that trauma is what has made you who you are today. I just had an awesome weekend at space camp with our son. Yeah. I had no idea it was going to be so much fun. Really? I, well, <laughs> Space camp. <laughs> well, I'm not even talking about space camp. The space camp was cool, mm -hmm. but the time with him, oh, yeah. like the one-on-one -on -one time with our son mm -hmm. was amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, we left on Wednesday. We had two days in Huntsville, Alabama, just the mm -hmm. two of us. Mm -hmm. And then we had two days camping at the Huntsville, Alabama Space and Rocket Center mm -hmm. for, for two full days. And that was also awesome. But man, that was four days. And four days and four airplane rides and like it was just amazing to be with him uninterrupted for that time yeah yeah and i don't know that you've had that before i had it last year i sent the kids to different camps just experimenting and um so i know i had one week with cena alone but this was the first time i've been with a lie alone and i was actually a little bit scared <laughs> Be alone with our six-year-old. Well, I don't. I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that because mm -hmm. you guys have an interesting relationship. Yeah. I, I don't really understand sometimes how you view your relationship with the kids, and especially not mm. with our daughter, our youngest. Yeah. Because both of you have like chili pepper tempers. Yeah. So what was it like for you? Because I, I mean, I can tell you full on, my time with our son, our, our my time with Cena was amazing. Yeah. What was it like with a lie? So on the first day, actually, she voiced what I had been concerned about the last few weeks where she had like halfway through the day, she was like, mom, and she's six, right? Mom, I didn't really know if I would have fun with you. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, why is that, baby? And she's like, I didn't think we would get along. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and that's exactly what I'd been thinking. Like, what if we don't get along? Because normally we're butting heads, right? Our tempers clash or like we're just like two rams all the time. Right. But being alone with her was amazing because I realized what happens is she needs, she's a different age and a different temperament. She needs a different level of engagement than mm. our son does. Our son's just so much like me. Like he wants to put yep. on his audio book yep. and just go do his own thing. And I realized that especially mm -hmm. because being with him for four days, I felt like I was with you. I felt like yeah. I was with the best parts of you mm -hmm. and the best parts of me. Yeah. Because he really is a mix of both of us. But for, it seemed really, it was really easy for me to be around him because I was like, oh, I know how to be around your mom. Yeah. So I know how to be around you. I can tell when you need quiet time. I can tell when you yep. need space away. I can tell when you need you know, a, a word of encouragement. Yeah. So I was concerned because our daughter need, I, I felt like our daughter needed like constant engagement and, I, and I'm an introvert. And so I was like, what am I going to get space? But it turned out that she just needs engagement. Mm -hmm. She wants to know that you're there with her. She had this whole thing, like we went and got Manny petties together. She had this <laughs> whole thing about being twinsies and, um, you know, doing things together. But when we weren't doing things together, she she had her she would put on her audiobook and then go do her own thing and i had a quiet house and it was amazing mm -hmm. um you know and i found that without the 
distraction and the overwhelm of having more people in the house yeah. and of having other things to do because I also chose not to work when I was with her. So I got to spend really good, just quality time focused on her. I was so much more patient. She was so much more pleasantly engaging. I didn't get yelled at once in four days. I mean, that's a record, you know? And she yells. She yells. She yells yeah. a lot. Yeah. She yells a lot. And I'm realizing that, I, I mean, I've suspected that she yells to compete yes. because she's, she's six, her brother's 10. Mm -hmm. So if she wants to be heard over him, because yeah. he'll just, he just goes on a like, He'll just talk. Mm -hmm. He'll talk about his day. He'll talk about his ideas. He'll just talk. Mm -hmm. And the only way she can be heard is to yell over him. Yeah. And then he's also kind of a sensitive boy. Mm -hmm. So sometimes she'll yell like as a verbal way of punching him. Yeah. Like a verbal punch in the face. And she, I swear yeah. she does the same thing to you. That like you interpret her yeah. volume and it like it aggravates your, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it seems to affect your anxiety mm -hmm. it makes your anxiety spike it seems mm -hmm. to affect your like emotions mm -hmm. when she's loud yeah it hurts you yeah so it's interesting because i think the your like our time kind of apart and then our solo time with the kids during this trip really gave us amazing reflection time mm -hmm. because i was able to reflect on you know, why does she yell? How does it actually make me feel? Why does our son react the way he does to things? Um, and, you know, I didn't grow up in a house where we yelled. You know, yelling wasn't a thing you did. We lived in a, a, a one-story house. You know, you, the rule was you walk over to talk to somebody. The only time we got yelled at is when you were actually in trouble. Mm. Um, and then really, it was really my mom, like, with a wooden spoon smacking it on the table, like, threatening you, you know? Um, <laughs> great um, <laughs> um so so the yelling really has been like a trigger for me but i know that i also yell yeah yeah when you lose your temper when you lose your cool you absolutely i really yeah. it's like a volcano exploding it like, is yeah. i mean and it's always been that way with you you've always been the person yep. who's kind of slow to anger but mm -hmm. when you when you tip it is a That's it. big mess. It's a yeah. big molten lava mess. Yeah. And I know it took me a little while to get used to that when we were dating. Mm -hmm. And then I think since we've been married, I've mm -hmm. kind of learned how to bring you up to boil, but not make you boil over. Yeah. The kids don't know how to do that though. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, one of the things that I talked about with Cena when we were gone mm -hmm. was asking him why he feels the need to be so apologetic. And we've talked about this. Yes. Because our son, mm -hmm. is he has a tendency to over-apologize. Yeah, for the last at least year, um, I've noticed this really serious over-apologizing, right. which I do. Yep. And I know why I do it. Like I know, you know from my childhood why I am the way I am. But I was like, why is, why is my son doing it? And mm -hmm. I thought, well, maybe I'm, I'm modeling it. Right? And but what our we're daughter about, doesn't over-apologize. Correct. And what we're talking about here is his answer to almost every challenge is, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Yep. Everything. If you say, you know, hey, baby, can you, you know, pick up your shoes? I'm sorry. 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 Yeah. Yes, I'll do it. Sorry. Yeah. Right? Please don't eat this or please don't go there. Or can you please call me when you... Sorry. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, it comes out so fast. And you're right. Yeah. Like, you, you also do that. Yeah. And it's always been kind of aggravating to me because I'm not I'm not correcting you. Right. 
I'm not saying that you've done anything wrong. I am literally yeah. just sometimes asking for a favor, sometimes mm -hmm. just challenging your point of view, mm -hmm. right? Ask probing for a little bit more, mm -hmm. right? Tell me why you want to go see the new Sonic movie. Yeah. Sorry, dad. I just, I really think, no, I just, yeah. I would like to know why you want to see the Sonic movie. There's no apology needed. Right, right. And that's the key is there's no apology needed. You're apologizing for something that requires no apology. And then the, you know, I started reading about, I, I, my concern was, was what is behind that? Yeah. I'm sorry. Right. Because what, how did it happen for you? Why do you, you said that you know why you do it? Why do you do it? Well, for, for me, I grew up in a household where, you know, my mother ruled the house and, you know, <laughs> I just remember there were little things like, you know, B was for bad, right? I remember that my mom saying that, like, if you brought home a B from school, like, B is for bad. <laughs> like, for real? Yes. B and is I, for bad? And I, you know, I was a high performer. Yeah. I was a, I was a high performer, like, throughout elementary school. And then middle school got harder because I started going to these advanced programs and the coursework got harder. And then my social life started to get in the way. Um, but, you know, there was, like, a very high expectation mm. of the way that you were supposed to be. And I was expected to fall in line, right? Yeah. Like my mom grew up in a household where children were seen and not heard and, you know, spare the rod and spoiled child. And she didn't raise us that way. Mm. But you could see through her parenting that that's the background she came from. And there was still an element of authoritarianism in the house. Um, and so, and I am, I have the kind of personality that it's easy for me. I want to people please. And so it's easy for me to fall into that over apologizing to try to please people. The problem is that the more you apologize when you are not supposed to be apologizing, the more your self-esteem takes a hit, yeah. right? Because suddenly you hear yourself like you are, you are saying, I'm sorry, so often that you start to internalize that you are actually sorry. Like it's your yeah. fault, that like you're, you're to blame, that you are the problem. Yeah. And that's not accurate at all and so when we st i started seeing our son do it i was like we have to nip this in the butt like whatever the cause is we have to we have to stop it and reverse it for his like for the sake of his future right? yeah you know it's funny and it's not funny but it's mm. but i call it funny mm -hmm. like in my household b b wasn't for bad <laughs> b wasn't anything that made people proud of you yeah and my mom was someone I was always trying to make proud. Yeah. I was always trying to make my stepdad proud too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just, I don't think that guy, he was in his own world mm -hmm. the whole time that we were kids, which I'm also starting to relate to as a parent. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard yeah. to not, to like pull yourself out of your own world and recognize that your kids have their own world too. Yeah. But I mean, for, I spent a summer grounded mm -hmm. because I brought home a C in math. Wow. I lost my whole summer because I brought home a C and I'll never forget that. That was a hard, oh, wow. it was a hard lesson for me, right? Yeah. And then I grew up in a household where we were hit. Mm. I grew up in a household where I was hit. Mm. My sisters, my half sisters sometimes had a different experience. But I mean, I was hit with hands. I was hit with leather belts. Yeah. I was hit with whatever people could get their hands on. I was mm. scratched and clawed sometimes, right? Yeah. When, when we were in the car for a long time. A long road trip if my mom couldn't grab something yeah. fast enough, she would just reach back and scratch me. Yeah. And your mom was raised in a household where everything was very competitive. Yeah, very competitive. Yeah. And there was um, you know, physical discipline. I'm sure I think your your stepdad's older than your mom. He's old school. Like I think physical discipline, I'm guessing, was a part of his household too. Yeah. Well, mm. and I think what what I'm noticing here, and I mean, it wasn't necessarily 
like a therapist that helped us through this. Mm -hmm. But CIA taught us that there's a connection between childhood trauma and high performance. Mm -hmm. And it's a really humbling day when CIA calls you in. And that's how it works. CIA calls you in on the first day of orientation. They sit everybody down. Mm -hmm. They say, welcome to CIA. You take your oath. And then they basically roll into a whole presentation about how you're all a little fucked up. <laughs> so it makes you so great for the job. <laughs> and it makes you perfect for the job. And they kind of throw it in your face right away. And they say, hey, you are all victims of some level of childhood trauma. Mm. And that trauma is what has made you who you are today. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a powerful lesson to realize that childhood trauma, the stuff that makes our childhood so painful, mm. is actually what makes us stronger and more resilient as adults. It's what makes us successful. For those people who have it, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And for those people who are raising children, we're all asking ourselves the question of, are we raising soft children? Are we raising, are we raising hard children? Are we raising right. successful children? Are we raising children that are gonna fall behind? Yeah. And I know for you and I, we are always wondering how, how do we introduce, how do we raise our children in a way mm -hmm. where they will succeed without having to cause the trauma right. that we have been taught is so vital to their success? Right. And I think, you know, trauma is, you know, one word, but I think, you know, really it's adversity, right? And like trauma is a way that adversity can come into your life. But you have to be so careful because like we've seen with our son, like, when you asked him, when did you start over-apologizing, right? Yeah, he said he, he said he was about seven years old. Yeah. So he, it was so interesting because mm -hmm. when I asked him, I asked him, when do you start remembering saying you're sorry for everything? Mm -hmm. And he specifically, like almost instantly, he was like, I was about six or seven, which was only, what, four years ago, three, three years, years ago. ago? Yeah. And I don't, I was like, yeah. what happened? What happened when we were six or seven? I don't remember what happened that would make, what was the mm -hmm. light switch? And I knew exactly what he was talking about because when he was seven was when we moved back to Tampa from the UAE. It was during COVID and we had to leave. Um, and we, it was- Left our nanny. We left our nanny. Left we left our, our whole our lifestyle. Whole lifestyle, yeah. our whole support network. And it was, it was like right in the middle of the pandemic and everything was shut down. And so we mm. had to catch- like we spent months just trying to catch a flight to get to America mm -hmm. because they had repatriation flights that they would fly you just anywhere in the country. Um, so, you know, we had tried to fly into DC, that flight was canceled, yep. tried to fly into someplace Chicago. else. Yep, I and so that. we ended up taking, you know, catching a repatriation flight into Chicago, um, you know, landing there after 15 hours, we had to get an apartment from the yep. UAE. You were looking, yep. you know, so- I remember that. It was just really hard. Like it was sight unseen. We showed up and, you know, we took what we could get. Mm -hmm. Like we were trying to buy a used car at the time, which was like almost impossible. Um, so, you know, there were all these challenges happening. And then when we came back, we had no support network because we had to come back yeah. so fast. And you were still working full time, right? You were still building the business. And then I ended up being with the kids and it was really stressful for me. Mm -hmm. And so... I know exactly what he's talking about because that was the time when I started to yell. And it never happened when you were home because when you were home, mm. you were my buffer, right? So when you were home and I was about to lose it, I could walk away yeah. and there was another adult there. Right. But when I was by myself and I was trying so hard, but there were just moments that like 
I didn't even, I couldn't even anticipate that I was going to lose my temper because I was like, I'm doing good. I'm taking my deep breaths. I took five minutes. I'm just going to step out on the porch. And then suddenly it's just, you know, one more time, the fifth time that I've asked you guys to brush your teeth and you have either yelled at me, no, or you have completely ignored me. And then bam, yelling. And then it's like, we've talked about it, like an actual volcano. Yeah, like it's not it just burns. a yell, yeah. right? It's this deluge of like lava that comes out, like just this word vomit of like, you guys never listen to me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm so stressed out and your dad's not here just with you, you know, just on and on, right? Which to a child, like they can't conceptualize yeah. at all what you're going through. So it was and really- And he was seven. He was seven. Yeah. And a lie was- Three. Three. So she has no recollection, I am certain, um, but he does. And that was a really pivotal point for him, right? And so we can see that my actions and that adversity that I caused for him, you know, has created this over-apologizing that down the line will not create grit, right? Mm -hmm. That's not going to be helpful for him. So I think you know, one of the things that I'm thankful for that the CIA has taught us is ongoing assessment. Right. Like we are continually assessing our parenting impact on the kids. I think, you know, I know, I think mo a lot of people parent, you know, the way that they were parented and they don't think about it. And they think, you know, I turned out fine. I mean, my, <laughs> I know our we've parents are always, that. we've all heard that. My kids turned yeah. out fine, right? <laughs> but for you and I, like we are, we're constantly assessing over time the impact that that we have on our children. Yeah. And because we are making that constant assessment, we can pick up on things like this early on to mitigate and, um, you know, stop stop the the adverse effects of our actions and turn it around and try to do something better and you know like i want to create adversity for our children but positive adversity yeah. right so they can get some grit in there and so they can you know have jobs where you know when the going gets tough like you know how many like delta force guys have we met that the stories i've heard from them mm. are so incredible and they go through that. And, you know, I've been told that, you know, they they have psychologists that they speak to before they go out on a mission, when they come back from a mission, but they still have to process all yeah. of that, right? So what is, you know, what are these personality traits? I mean, I feel like so many parents, you know, that's the question. How do you properly prepare your children for the adversity that's to come? So I, I feel like you just... You just gave us a lava deluge of a, of a soap right there. You went into like so four awesome things. passionate about... All the stuff I've done wrong. <laughs> it feels so horrible to be like, oh my God, I'm the one. Like, I have to stop. Like, I have to fix my yelling problem, you know? <laughs> like, so it's interesting because you, you, I think you're right that, you know, 2020 ish was when life got really difficult for us because we came back from, we were on a big, very lucrative contract overseas. Mm -hmm. And we came back to the US and it was in the middle of COVID, just like you said, everything was difficult. And the business was not slowing down. The business was expanding. Yeah. So I was gone. Yeah. I remember those days, I remember those, those months traveling during COVID, which were some of my favorite months to travel because the airports were empty, <laughs> yeah, the know, airplanes were, there. like the hotels were empty. Everybody was on their best behavior. Yeah. But I mean, that was months away from home. Mm -hmm. And I remember you telling me that it wasn't easy when I was gone. Mm -hmm. And I always just kind of assumed that what you meant is it wasn't easy for you. I never imagined 
that I was gone. And what that meant is that you were losing your temper with the kids. Yeah. Yelling at the kids, reprimanding the kids, like that you your stress was being manifest and projected onto them. Yes. And it didn't strike me until Cena met and his who's over apologizing is something I've noticed, but it was something you really kind of turned me on to. You were like, yeah. I don't like this. Yeah. And I think you know it because you've grown up that way. You're 43 years old now yeah. and you still say you're sorry about things that don't have any they're they're not your fault. Yeah. So you saw this in him. We started exploring it in him. And I i mean, it was hard to hear him say like, yeah, it was about seven years old. And then as soon as I mentioned that to you, mm-hmm. you knew it was because you, yeah. I mean, essentially you were, I mean, you were abusing the kids yeah. with your own words and your own actions. Yep. And he remembers that. Yeah. That is super heavy. And I, I hope you don't feel like I'm blaming you. Because what what I'm feeling yeah. is that I was absent and my absence is what started that whole thing. Yeah. Because you, I mean, you, from the time we got married, you told me, don't ever make me a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. Don't ever, tr- don't ever leave me alone with the kids. Like yeah. you were telling me that before we even had kids. And yet somehow mm-hmm. after all of that conversation, we still found ourselves in a situation where we did exactly what we told each other and ourselves mm-hmm. not to do. So, you know, what's really fascinating is, you know, when, when you're at the agency and you're planning a mission, right, we always have contingencies, right? The reason that, uh, you know, officers that go out into the field are trained the way that they are so that they can make decisions in the field on the fly, right? Because situations change. And I feel like if you look at our life, that's exactly what's happened. Hmm. I married you because I thought you were going to be like, <laughs> I, <was laughs> I don't like, even know if I want to hear this. <laughs> I was like, he was in the, I was like, he went to like a military academy. He was in the military. Now he's in the government, like golden. Like he, here's this steady guy. We're going to have like government jobs and retire with a pension <laughs> and do, you know, the whole nine to five and commute, you know, three hours to work and whatever. Um, and, you know, put our kids in school and be, you know, the, the whatever. And, um, you know, the family that they make sitcoms about. But instead, our life has completely pivoted right so when when not when we got married i would say when we decided to have kids in my mind i was like i will have kids because andy is my partner right i always knew i would only ever have kids if i had a partner to support me because i had a dog once and i learned the hard way Mm. that when i am stressed out and i'm alone it's like it's not good like i can't handle the stress of caring for another living creature if I don't have support. Um, So I was like, Andy's going to be there. Andy's going to co-parent. We're good. And then we stepped away from CIA. We stepped into the business. We had another kid, right? So now we have two. And now the business requires you to travel. And now I'm alone with the kids. With two kids. With two kids. With two little creatures that depend on you. So I feel like now we're in like the portion of the mission where we got on the ground, right? <laughs> the primary plan has failed. <laughs> yes, exactly. The alternate plan has failed. Exactly. And what is our contingency plan? Right. So now we're really having to like reassess the situation and be like, you know what? Because I think in the beginning we were like, travel's going to slow down. Travel's going to, you know, like maybe not stop it. It'll slow down and I'll be home a lot more and whatever. And the truth is that 
our business continues to grow at a rate where that's just not possible, at least not for the next, definitely not for the next year, maybe not for the next three years. And our kids are still little, right? And I'm still me. Like my core personality traits aren't going to change. So now we have to, you know, we have to figure out how do we approach this mission of raising children while growing a business in a way that will make us successful, that will, you know, make sure that the kids are successful, that we are successful. Like, how do we, how do we do this now? Because it's not at all the way that we had originally planned it, but now we're in it. So we have to plan on the fly, right? Which I think the CIA gave us like really amazing training and skills to be able to do that. And what's interesting is the agency taught us that there's a connection between childhood trauma and high performance. Mm -hmm. And then we tried so hard not to cause trauma. Yeah. Only to find out that we are causing trauma. Like what, what, what has happened to our son that has led him to over-apologize mm-hmm. is the definition of childhood trauma. Absolutely. My traveling, my being gone for some of the core years in our daughter's life, mm-hmm. the reason that she's so sweet and so attached to me is mm-hmm. in part because we have caused, I have caused her trauma. Mm. So even in our every effort not to cause trauma, right. we are causing trauma. Right. And we know that the trauma we cause will potentially lead to a high-performing adult Mm -hmm. in our children. So two questions. My first question is, now that you have kind of come to the realization Mm -hmm. that you have traumatized our son with your temper, Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? I feel horrible. I feel like an absolutely horrible person. Even though you know that the trauma that you've given him is going to be what translates into part of his success in the future. I think it's only going to translate if I pivot now, right? Like I think if I were to continue down the path that I have where when you leave, I, you know, I try to be super mom and then it never works out because I am in no way a super mom. Um, so if I continue down that path and let myself continue to have these explosions randomly where the kids can't predict and they don't understand, um, I think that that type of trauma will be detrimental to them. Mm. I don't think it will lead to high performance and success. Um, so then my second question mm-hmm. is, what would you say to other parents who have also kind of landed on the same conclusion? Mm. You know, all the traveling parents, all the temperamental parents, all the tired and exhausted parents who realize that their behavior is having a negative effect on their children. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? I think that you have to take, I mean, the resources you have access to are different for everybody, but I think the first step is the assessment, right? You have to, to make an assessment. You have to to take all the data that you have. So you have to sit down and think about, you know, what are you, like what actions are you taking that are affecting your children? And then you have to think about why is that happening, right? So I know that I just get overwhelmed. If I don't have somebody else there to help me, I get overwhelmed on my own by the two. Mm. So once you have the data you can start making and you've made the assessment, the initial assessment of you know what's happening and why, then you can start thinking about how can I mitigate this? And I think you recently came up with this really amazing idea because you're so good at thinking outside of the box. 
Um, and I just, I never thought about it before. I was like, I just need to get a nanny. There's full time. That's eight to five and whatever. And then the other day you were like, maybe you should just get a cook because cooking for the kids really yeah. stresses me out. Essentially what I thought of is that we've hired nannies. Mm -hmm. We've been hiring nannies for our children yeah. since 2019. Yeah. And it hasn't improved your temperament. Right. So then I think the idea I landed on, and I'm a little embarrassed to tell you, is <laughs> maybe I should just get a nanny for you. <laughs> oh, that's not a... But so, that, was, that was my thought. Yeah. Like, my thought was the children don't need a nanny. The children need a mom mm. who won't make them feel bad about being kids. Yeah. And you want to be the kind of mom that doesn't make them feel bad about being yes. kids. But the problem is that them being kids drains all of your assets, drains all of your resources. Mm -hmm. it, it drains your energy, it drains your time. It yeah. I mean, and then it just compounds with all the complexities of being a mom. Mm -hmm. So my thought was, what can I do to basically support all the mom stuff mm -hmm. that drains you? Yeah. All the cooking, all the cleaning, all the planning, all the organizing, right? The grocery shopping, yada, yeah. yada. I was like, if I could take that away from you, then theoretically, you still want to be a mom. Mm -hmm. You just don't want to be a stressed out mom. Yeah, and and you know the when I was a targeter, you know I think I've talked about you know I loved targeting because it was so focused. I could just focus on mm. one thing and go down the rabbit hole and be there for eight hours. With the kids, nothing is focused, especially yeah. when you have two. Like there's con everybody's asking you for something at the same time all the time, all day, um, and so it's just overwhelmed for me. Um, but once you once you had this idea, like once you voiced this idea of like, maybe you should get a cook, suddenly it opened up the floodgates of all this alternate solutions <laughs> that we could do. Yeah. So I, we've thought about like, maybe we can get a cook. Maybe we can get a tutor. A tutor. Maybe we can just have somebody come and, you know, take the house cleaning off yep. your hands. Maybe, I mean, I had the thought the other day, I was like, maybe I should hire somebody, a, a nanny, who covers the kids, not from eight to five, but from 12 to eight. Because you know what, in the morning, we have awesome energy with the kids. Mm -hmm. Like I love mornings with the kids. It's But that's that nighttime that I'm stressed out and I'm tired and I don't have the patience. So if I had somebody to take them from lunch to brushing their teeth and then I took them the rest of the way, like that would resolve a lot of my stressful hours with them, yeah. right? Like there's so many solutions and I think you know, at the agency, we do this too, where we'll have these brainstorming sessions where you just throw everything up on the board, right? You whiteboard it out, you put everything up there, and then you sit back and you, and you think, you know, you discuss like, what, what can we actually do, right. right? But just put all that crazy stuff up there because maybe it'll work. Yeah, I mean, right? I, a, it was CIA that taught me that every good idea starts from a bad idea. Yeah. So you have to say your bad ideas. Yes. So that other people can take your bad ideas and brainstorm them into good ideas. Yeah, your crazy idea might not be that crazy. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it's all true. kinds, how many things, how many like operations have gone forward yep. that started from an idea that at first you were like, that's nuts. But then you have but something there. then you have there. something there, yeah. yeah. I mean, and there's been plenty of ideas that have not gone well, too. <laughs> yeah, that's why Let's you put honest. on a whiteboard first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think the the thing that's so interesting to me is that you we were talking about how 
these elite operators from Delta to the Navy SEALs yeah. to CIA, they are they start they're forged in this fire of hardship. Yes. Right. And and there's a balance in trauma. When we talk about childhood trauma, I want to be clear. Mm-hmm. There's a very specific area of trauma, right? So if trauma is on a if you put childhood trauma on a spectrum, uh, spectrum mm-hmm. right? Here you have no trauma at all. And here you have a great deal of trauma, right? Like think about the most horrendous things that happen to a children. Yeah. Right? So from zero to the most horrendous acts ever. Essentially, the childhood trauma band where high performance happens is like just to the, just off of the middle closer to the low trauma side, mm-hmm. right? You want, CIA is looking for people who had an absentee parent. Mm-hmm. They're looking for people who had a busy mom or dad who was active in their job or active in their career, where the only way that the child would get mom or dad's attention is by doing something good, yep. right? By high performing. Yep. The child who followed the rules, the child who who uh, became very compliant with the school, the mm-hmm. child who won the awards in band and the awards in track. and the, like, They're not looking for awesome superheroes. Mm-hmm. They're looking for people who directed their energy into a very narrow area to win approval from someone else. Mm-hmm. Win approval from mom, win approval from dad. They're looking for those people who had a parent die yeah. or had parents that got divorced or multiple divorces. They, I mean, we've known friends who had parents who were drug addicts mm-hmm. and the kids had to like keep themselves alive and their parents yeah. alive. Still within that band of trauma mm-hmm. because those people are like, when they become adults, there is no end to mm-hmm. what they are capable of doing yeah. in order to survive and to make like make ends meet. Mm-hmm. On the low end of trauma, you have all the people who never really had to deal with that, mm-hmm. right? Mom and dad always loved them. Mom and dad always kind of said nice things to them. Their mm-hmm. life was easy. So now as adults, they assume like life is easy. Yeah. This is just the way it works. This is where I fit into the world. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to overachieve. I can just minimally achieve and that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the larger band of people who've had too much trauma. Yeah. Right? So much trauma that they've developed unhealthy coping mechanisms mm-hmm. to deal with that trauma or they've they've been like mentally or physically altered. Yeah. In some way, PTSD, yeah. uh, you know, some sort of, you know, physical trauma that yeah. has brain injuries, yeah. Yeah, that is in that has made them not neurotypical. Yeah. So the band of high performance Mm-hmm. that's tied to childhood trauma is a very narrow band. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton of people who are in that band. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that's been most fascinating to me is when we come across those people in our lives and in our business. Mm. Because now that we have seen and worked beside mm-hmm. elite operators who have become elite because of their childhood trauma, yeah. and we've seen how they've kind of accepted their trauma, for so long, we fight it, right? Mm-hmm. I remember when I used to complain about my dad beating me with a belt. Yeah. Now I'm kind of like, oh, it's a little fucked up, but I'm kind of glad he beat me with a belt. <laughs> like, I learned to respect a belt. Yeah. And I also learned that, like, you have to kind of grin and deal with it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes you just have to bear the pain mm-hmm. to get to the other side of the finish line. There are so many people out there who have never been hit by their parents <laughs> who have no idea what really? that's like. Well, maybe in the younger generations. I well, would say sure, in our generation, yeah. I mean, there's five generations alive right now. Yeah. Right? That's crazy. Yeah. There, I, I guess there's always five generations alive, but 
to be the yeah. third oldest generation mm -hmm. and we'll see in the middle there. Yeah. yeah. Right. We hire two generations below us. Yeah. The parents who raised us are two generations above us. Mm -hmm. Like it's nuts to see yeah. all of it happening right now. But, uh, but yeah, so th that the idea that childhood trauma is what makes you a high performer mm -hmm. and to think that no matter how hard you work to keep trauma away from your children, mm. there is still a benefit to the trauma that gets through mm. because you're not creating soft, weak children mm -hmm. unless they are truly like nearly trauma free. Mm. So all those parents who work their ass off, all those parents who are building a career, building a business, who feel bad at night or they feel bad in the office about missing mm -hmm. bedtime or whatever else, yes, they are traumatizing their children to a certain extent. Oh, but that trauma is going to make their child yeah. so much stronger as an adult. And I think I think studies have been done that that talk about how different people handle the trauma differently, right? Yeah. There's a spectrum. And so you know, government agencies in the military have the benefit of being able to choose the strongest, right? right. Or I don't know if the strongest is the right word, but... They can put you through a battery right. to identify the, the optimal combination. Exactly. The people who have the personality, the temperament, the mental grit, yeah. whatever you want to call it, that helps them overcome the adversity and the trauma that they've faced in their life, right? Because by the time they get to the government level, they've spent, you know, they're adults, They've spent their life and they have proven that they can do that, yeah. right? But when you're a parent and you're raising kids, you have to keep in mind too that your kid might not be that kid, right? Your kid might not be the kid who's going to make a good, you know, who's going to be a part of the Delta Force, right? Like it's just not everybody is that. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's important to, like we were talking about before, be assessing along the way the level and type of adversity that your kids are being exposed to because your kid might be less tolerant, might have, you know, less ability to overcome the same adversity that yeah. their sibling can, right? I mean, I hear about the stuff that you've gone through in your life. Mm. And I think to myself, I don't know that I would have come out the same way as you did. You know, it's funny because the, the reason you said that part of the reason you married me was because you thought I was going to be this stable, predictable government Oh, yeah. Government I was employee. like, Andy's. I was like, Andy's childhood is kind of messed up, but he's like... Perfect. Like, there's nothing wrong with Andy. For you. For you. <laughs> I was like, he's got no baggage. But when I married you, I was marrying you because you had this incredibly loving family. Yeah. Like, when, <laughs> when I met you in your 20s, you're, you weren't a kid anymore, right? Mm. And not only were you not a kid, you had achieved all the stuff that your mom slapping the table with her wooden spoon I know, had I've, told you to achieve. I had made it. Yeah, you had made it. <laughs> you checked all the boxes. Yes, I did. And I was like, this woman is amazing and her family is amazing. And it wasn't until I then married into your family and became a son in your family mm -hmm. that then I started seeing the trauma for myself. <laughs> yeah. Then I started seeing like, oh, this, this family is ruled by your mom and like your dad has come to his own relationship yeah. with how that dominance works mm -hmm. and seeing it, you know, firsthand and feeling it firsthand mm -hmm. from our wedding all the way through mm -hmm. to like, you know, how we raise our own kids. Yeah. Like we're constantly questioned about the choices that we make oh, with our yeah. kids too. Yeah. So it, it is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. But uh, I want to make sure that we leave time to yeah. answer a question. I think we have a great question for today mm -hmm. that came from one of our viewers. 
one of the comments recently asked us the question, how do you discipline your children? Mm. How do you discipline your own children? Mm -hmm. um, and there was some other context in the question, you know, to make sure that it wasn't too much discipline or too little discipline or mm -hmm. making sure that one didn't feel like the other one was getting it easy and, the, mm -hmm. and one was getting it too hard. Mm -hmm. But I love this question because thanks to you and thanks to your own experience, being alone with your dog, and I, I remember some of the sad stories that you've yeah. told me about owning a dog when you were alone and single. Mm -hmm. You were very focused on this question of having a disciplined strategy for the kids yeah. long before we even had kids. Yeah. So I kind of want to kick it to you. How do, in your own words, how do we discipline our kids? So before I before we had kids and when we were pregnant with our first, we read a lot of books because I was I definitely wanted to have I wanted us to be on the same page. And I didn't want, you know, I what happens is when when people are under stress, they revert to what they know. What, what they know. What, what they know with. is what their parents did to them. Exactly. And neither one of us wanted to do that. And so we read a bunch of books and, you know, and decided on a strategy together. And so um, the way that we discipline our kids really is kind of through hugs. <laughs> it's a great way of describing it. <laughs> um, so there are, um, so we do, you know, like raise our voice sometimes like sternly and say, you know, you know, don't do that or stop doing that or whatever. Like well, in the I moment, if we, yeah, I, yeah, I try not to raise my voice because if I raise my voice at all, then it might turn into a yell. So you, yeah, so you do a good job of like raising your voice to a, to a level that gets their attention. Um, I generally try to get close to them yeah. so they can hear me and I get their attention by putting my hand on their arm or by, you know, making sure they're making eye contact with me when I'm speaking to them. But right. then it flows into a physical contact, like touching their hand, touching their arm, their shoulder, even holding them, and then talking about whatever it is. Right. So you're talking, you know, you, what you're describing is loving touches. Yes. And I want to make sure that it's clear because oh, yeah. sometimes I feel like you talk and it's not very clear. Okay, please. <laughs> I mean, that's why I married you. You're my, you're my translator. But I mean, what we practice is something that came from a book called Unconditional Parenting. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea that at all times through any disciplinary effort we apply, we need to make sure the kids understand that they are loved unconditionally. Right. So we never want to discipline them in a way that makes them feel like we are taking our love away mm -hmm. because they did something bad. Right. Instead, we're trying to always engage them. I love that word that you used earlier. Mm -hmm. We're trying to always engage them in a loving way mm -hmm. to have a discussion yeah. about the choices that they made. Right. And we have that benefit because our kids are homeschool kids and they stay with us and they're around us all the time. Right. So I, I have always loved the fact that somehow you are able to do that and just get in close and mm -hmm. you always know when to when to hold them when to hold their hand when to touch mm -hmm. their shoulder when to have them sit in your lap mm -hmm. and you'll just sit there with them and you'll let yeah. them cry yeah and you'll let them scream and you'll let them do whatever they want to do mm -hmm. until they calm down and then they can have a meaningful conversation yeah. with you well and then for me you're mm -hmm. right i use a stern voice to interrupt them yeah and a part of the reason i do that is to interrupt their thought process because they mm -hmm. spiral right yes. children spiral yeah. Just like you smile. Yep, that's exactly. <laughs> that's and sometimes true. all it takes is a a voice that's just louder than normal, but not loud enough to be an mm -hmm. attack, mm -hmm. to just get them to stop the spiral for just a second, right? A cognitive interrupt. Yeah. So that you can then give them express instructions. Mm -hmm. Tell me what happened. Tell me how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Tell me why you made that choice. Yeah. 
always with an eye towards making sure they feel and accept the love in that we have for them, mm -hmm. despite whatever error they may have made. Yep. And the other book I read that I found really helpful was The Whole Brain Child. Um, and I use a lot of, I've actually read a number of books by that same author. Um, and part of what's been helpful is it's helped me understand my I, my own brain because I also have really big emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes the verbal doesn't come right away. So, you know, I've found with the kids, like when they are emotionally hijacked, they're, you're not going to be able to ask them what's wrong. You just, you have to wait for them to calm down, which is why we just hug and we hold each other and they just calm down or we'll sing a song or just something to get everything to calm down because I'm exactly the same way, yeah. you know? And I would say just because, you know, we've talked about it, um, you know, in this last hour, um, that when I yell at the kids, I am not disciplining them. My yelling at the kids is, is in no way, yeah. shape, or form me attempting to discipline them. Me yelling at the kids is me losing my temper, yeah. right? It is, it is not the right thing to do, and it is very counterproductive because then I end up spending the rest of the night or the rest of, you know, the mm -hmm. next two hours walking that back, yep. right? Reconnecting with them, apologizing, you know, talking about what happened and why I exploded, right? So... Um, That's all the stuff we wish our parents would have done to yes. us. Yes. There is so much value mm -hmm. in apologizing just, to your children. It's so true. So much value. I make mistakes all the time yes. and, I, and I tell them, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have said this. Yep. This is what's happening in my life. Yes. This is what's happening with the business. This is what's happening with mommy. This is what's happening with me. Yes. My stomach doesn't feel good. My head doesn't feel good. Right. And I yelled at you and I shouldn't have. Or, right. you know, I got lazy and I made a bad dinner, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. Mm-hmm. Telling them what's really happening has been incredibly valuable. Yes. So one of the things that CIA taught us mm -hmm. is that all adults are really just large children, mm -hmm. right? Like adults behave just like children mm -hmm. with 30 years of experience, right. but we're still children on the inside. Mm -hmm. And if you can understand the child inside each adult, mm -hmm. you can essentially control the adult. And that's what's become kind of a superpower for us in mm -hmm. our professional lives and our personal lives mm -hmm. and even in our relationship with each other. Because mm -hmm. when I talk to you, I understand I'm not talking to 43-year-old <laughs> Jihee. Nope. I'm talking to like nine-year-old Jihee. Yeah. And I know that when you talk to me, you understand you're talking to like a nine-year-old version of me. Yeah. Who needs a hug? Who just, a <laughs> hug fixes so many things. It's so true. Yeah. So when we talk to our children mm -hmm. and when we discipline our children, mm -hmm. so much of that is tied to the fact that we understand who we are talking to right now Yeah. is the 25-year-old adult, Yeah. is the 45-year-old mother or father, is the 70-year-old mm -hmm. grandfather or grandmother. Yeah. They are who they will always be. Mm-hmm. And- we are shaping their future with every minute that we interact with them. Yeah. And I think that's why we try to discipline them through a lens of love because we know what it's yes. like to be disciplined without right. that love. Always wondering mm -hmm. if you did something so bad that your parents don't love you anymore. Yeah, and I think patience is a lot has a lot to do with it as well, right? Like when we talk about disciplining, it's not like we give our children a hug and then they don't do it again, yeah. right? I mean, you just you have to understand that they will do it again, yeah. right? Well, 
I do things over and over again that I should, <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, you just have to be patient with them and understand that it's going to happen again. You're going to have to have the same conversation again. Like they really didn't mean to spill the milk. I promise you, yeah. you know, it's, it's okay, right? So folks, thank you so much for joining us today. We had a great conversation. I don't think we intended for it to go in this direction at all. We, mm. we just kind of, we found ourselves honestly talking about what childhood was like for us and what childhood is like for our kids. And we hope that you found value in that. Uh, please leave your comments below, especially if you have any thoughts at all as to how you were raised, how you wish you were raised, or how you raise your own children. Leave your comments below. Let us know what you do. What do you do right? What do you feel like you do wrong? Did anything we mentioned today resonate with you specifically. And for those of you out there who know you have had childhood trauma, who recognize that you have had just that right amount of trauma to be a high performer, I wanna encourage you to see that as a superpower, like see that as a benefit for yourself, not as some kind of, you know, hibbity-bibbity <laughs> life, life coaching betterment, like no, it's because there are literally people who will never try as hard as you. And then there are people who are mentally incapable of achieving what you achieve. So if you yourself are a high performer, I want you to know that you have found the right place to be here with us here at Everyday Spy as part of the Spy Tribe. So leave your comments below, leave your thoughts below, leave your questions for us below. And then of course, if you wanna learn more about how to turn your childhood trauma into something that's super powerful, make sure you click on the links in the description. Come visit us at our homepage, come take our spy quiz, come be part of the spy tribe and unlock those superpower abilities that you have that you may not even realize that you have. And with that, I guess we'll save our next conversation for the next day. See you soon.